All right, we want to welcome everybody today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 14. So you can find that, and, and uh, some of the stuff today will kind of go back to last week. I'm not going to recap a whole lot, but, um, but, but it will. It's, 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 um, everything's kind of building, and, and um, a lot of things kind of go back and forth. But, but anyway, in, uh, in these verses, we're going to look, look at um, the, the things that John saw there and, and the uh, certainty of our faith and the certainty of our inheritance in Christ. So in uh, beginning in verses one through five, John said, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except for the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless." So this, this, you know, out of everything in the chapter, this is the one that you can go, oh, we're interested in figuring out what this means here as, as we come in there in this 144,000. But, um, but before we get to that, the overall picture here in these verses is that Jesus will never let those belonging to him go. Jesus will never let you go. When you belong to Jesus, he will never let you go. He promises to hold us and to present us to God. So as we come in here, the next thing that John sees is the Lamb on Mount Zion, the eternal city of God. So in uh, the Old Testament, 155 times you see this, this phrase, Mount Zion, and it typically refers to the eternal city of God or what we would call heaven. So you have this, and, and this is the typical thing that we see happening, and that's the predominant meaning of it. And then the saints, the 144,000, are in the eternal city of God with Jesus. So this is, this is what's going down here, and, and we'll get to the 144,000 in probably about five minutes. So just, just hang on. I know you want to know about that. But, um, but they're there. They're the redeemed of all the ages. So we will go back to that. In chapter 7, we talked about these 144,000. And, and the 144,000 really represents the redeemed people of all ages. All the people who have come, um, those before Christ who were trusting in the promise of God and, and waiting on the promise that God had made. And then post would be all of those who have trusted in Christ and followed him. So as we come here, it's redeemed of all ages, those who've been redeemed by faith. So we talked about it in chapter 7, but just to go back really quick, there were 12 tribes of, 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles. You take 12 times 12, you got 144. You throw 1,000 in there and multiply that again, you got 144,000. Um, 1,000 is a number of, of exceeding, you know, great number or extravagance or completion or however you want to put it. But anyway, it's, it's coming in to say this is, these are the redeemed of God coming in. They're God's people. They're God's true people throughout the ages representing the true Israel. So they're exactly the opposite of what we looked at last week of the people who have the mark of the beast or those who have um, the 666 on their forehead, 666 rather than representing 
total completeness represents total incompleteness. Um, we, we looked at that last week, but it's their incompleteness in achieving God's design for man and achieving what God has designed us to be. They never measured up because they never came to Christ. So we belong to God, and, and we have a promise as, as we come in here <clears throat> looking at this first verse, and, and, and like I say, if you want to go back, you can go back to chapter 7 when we looked at that, or last week, and, and look at the 666 and 144,000. But um, in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, Paul put it this way. He said, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When he says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our possession, um, that word that, that's, that's translated out there, guarantee, is is down payment or deposit, um, or maybe you might use the word earnest money. It's something we're all familiar with in understanding that when we're serious about something, we put money down on it. That means that we're going to follow through. And that's what Jesus said. Um, that's what God tells us. And this is what Paul's writing in Ephesians is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, this is saying that God will complete the transaction, that we will be face to face with him. This is a done deal. It's not something that can be taken from us. And this is what we're seeing here um, in, in chapter 14 as well, that these people have the name of God written on their heads, that they have the character of God, they have the mind of Christ, that they are the people who are drawn to him, that belong to him. In Ephesians 4.13, 4.30, um, Paul goes on to say, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's saying not only that, we need to live as such, as we are the sealed people of God, as we are the people of God who have been marked by him, and his name is written on us, and we show his character to the world, that we're not to grieve God by not living in the way that he has called and created us to. So as we come in, um, he goes on into verse 2, and he says he hears this voice from heaven, and, and this voice from heaven is like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. Now, we don't get a whole lot of thunder up here every now and then. You get some of you kind of go, oh, whoa, what was that? But where I'm from, we get thunder, man. It, 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 it'll rock you out of, I mean, it, it will make the ground shake. It is, it is real. And, and it's there. And it's happening. And, and it can startle you very much. So it's, you've got this thing going on. And you've got the sound of roaring waters. Now, where I'm from, we didn't really have much water. I'm from Texas, so you gotta, you know, you gotta dig holes in the ground or dam things up to hold it. But, but here we have water. I mean, and and you can see really crazy stuff happen with the water. Like I've been out on the North Pacific when the waves were hitting, they were busting 50 feet um, coming up and, and coming up over our survival capsules and stuff. So that's, that's serious, serious movement, serious power, serious noise, um, things, things happening like that. And, and you can just go down to the beach when there's good curl on the beach and it's loud. I mean, it's, it's loud. And so as you come in here, this is what John is seeing as, as, as God pulls back, the, pulls back the curtain. Jesus pulling back the curtain to see what is taking place. And then he, he hears this voice like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. So their harps, it's, it's uh, probably not the thing, you know, we're used to like that big thing like this, but more of a like little 
guitar-looking thing with ten, eight or ten strings that they would pluck and play, and and so you could hold it and and play it and and so forth. But um, but they're coming in and doing this, and they're singing this um, <clears throat> this new song. So they're singing a new song of worship. So as we come into this and and think about it and being drawn into it, this is overpowering worship. This is worship that is off the charts. It is, it is the people of God gathered around the Lamb of God, gathered around the throne of God, and, and it is a deafening roar before God of worship that's taking place, and, and it's the joy overpowering worship and joy in heaven, and it's a new song only known by the redeemed because it is a song of worship to God who has purchased the redeemed and made them a kingdom of priests. So this is, this is what it is. So it says this, um, this is in line with the new psalm or the new song that we would see in the psalms when we see this, that, that God gave them a new song um, that praises God for delivering his people and calling them to complete trust in him. And, and so um, it's worship as we come in here and we talk about this new song. I don't know what the song is. Nobody knows what the song is. It's a new song, and it's in heaven, and it's in the future, and it's something that's happening, but it's also happening around the throne. John saw it. He saw it happening right there then, and, and he wrote about it, and it's going on right now. In heaven, there is, there is deafening worship around the throne. People are worshiping. Those who have gone before us are worshiping before the throne. And it's an amazing sight as they come. And and it's a a joy that's welling up inside that's real. And and it's um, grounded in Scripture. It focuses on God. And it's a model for us today. If we come in and we want to look at that, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know enough about it to know that it's a model for us today. And it is Jesus-centered and Scripture-saturated. It's joyous, Jesus-centered worship, saturated with Scripture, saturated in the Word of God, telling the truth of God. It is a song that is dialed in to who God is. And, And I'm not sure what the style is. I don't know what style of music this is. You know, as a matter of fact, it might be a style that I just say, I don't like that kind of music today. But I'm going to tell you what, in heaven, I'm going to like it. Whether I like it now or not, I'm going to like it. You know, it's, it's, um, and it's a new song. It's a new song. It's not an old song. It's a new song, which is hard for us, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you go, oh, you know, I, I kind of like the stuff that I know. And I do too. As a matter of fact, if, if you go and, and, and I flip, you know, somewhere, somewhere down the line, I just kind of stopped. And that's the style of music I like. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. You know? When I go over to Rick's shop, I know he's listening to 60s and 70s. And I'm going to move a little bit beyond that. But not too far. Not too far. Because you don't want to get too crazy, right? But, but here's the deal. Here's an interesting thing. If you come in and you look at, at, uh, at church music, worship music, Jesus music, you know what? Every time God moves in people, you know what they do? They, they sing. They write music. They write songs. And all those songs, so when you say, you know, I like old songs, which old songs do you like? Because there's old songs that have been going forever. 
I mean, they go back centuries of old. And it's something to understand that in heaven, he's going to put a new song inside of us that's going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be this roar as we come around, and it's going to be people singing and, and, and making things happen and, and um, worship of God. And only the redeemed can learn it. Only the redeemed. You know why? Because only the redeemed are in the presence of God. Only the redeemed will be there. In Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in in the Lord. So if you go through and you begin to read, if you've been reading through the Bible this year, you're going to find that there was a song of Moses. There was a song of Miriam. There are songs that are happening in the Bible. When God does great things, people began to break out in song. I don't know. You know, they, they weren't Baptists, obviously, but they broke out in song and they sang and, and they did. And, it, and it's song that points to the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God and the truth of God and the truth of who he is. And, um, and, and in all reality, we do do that. When we sing, we want to sing songs that magnify God. Regardless of, of, of what time they come from, they magnify God. And um, these saints have not a, defiled themselves with idolatry. It goes on there, and, um, and he says, And it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Um, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They have not defiled themselves with idolatry. So when we come in and you go, okay, now this, this was a, a strange step. I mean, the 144,000 before, it, it included all kinds of people. You know, it wasn't just 144,000 men. Um, well, what exactly is going on here? Before, it was generic. Well, if you come in and go through the Scriptures and look at this, remember, um, I think we talked about this maybe last week, but I know it's, it's been recently. Um, one, of, one of the biggest pictures that God uses for our relationship with him is the picture of marriage, right? It says that, come, the bride says, the, the lamb says to the bride, come. He calls us his bride. And, um, and, and I, you know, being called a bride doesn't, doesn't give me the warm fuzzies. Um, you know, I'm a guy. But, but, um, but I understand the language and the meaning of it. And the meaning of it is this. It's that we have an exclusive relationship with Christ. We have a relationship that's to be kept pure and holy, and, and it's to be held in, 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 in as something that's sacred. And that's what marriage is. You know, marriage is something that's sacred. As a matter of fact, if, if, uh, if you hear somebody committed adultery, that does not make you feel warm, fuzzy, or anything. That just makes you go, oh. It's just, a, oh, no. Why? Because it's just universally understood when someone cheats on someone, that's not a good thing. It's, it's to violate the covenant of God. 
And, and, and God has wired us this way for this exclusivity to understand. And, and, and this is the picture that he uses so that we can understand what he wants from us, is that he wants us to love him the way that we love our spouse, to keep ourselves true to him and, and to give our worship to him and him alone, not to give our worship to anything and anyone that comes along, not to worship the things of the world, but to worship God and to worship who he is. And so as he comes in and he talks, talks about these, these 144,000 not defiling themselves. Um, if we come back and begin to look and whatever, it, it doesn't make sense if we pull it out of understanding this as not defiling themselves with idolatry. And, and seeing this, and you see it throughout the scriptures. You see um, Israel, God describes them, you're a wicked and adulterous generation. Well, he's not talking about their marriages. He's talking about their spiritual lives with him. And he's using terms that they understand, and this is what he's saying. So what he's saying is, is that this people who are there, these are, these are the redeemed people of God, and they are sold out, and they are in a loving, exclusive relationship with Jesus, and, and they love him beyond everything else, and they have gone all in to follow him, and they refuse to be intimate with the world and to succumb to the lies of the beast. Does it mean that we're perfect? No, we're, uh, none of us are perfect in here. Nobody's arrived. You'll never arrive until you're in the presence of the Lamb. But when you're in the presence of the Lamb, that is where you are. You are fully, fully sanctified, fully glorified in the presence of God. So this is where he's drawing us in 2 Corinthians 11. Two, another look at this concept and this idea is, is Paul wrote, he said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So you're using this language, and this language describes a relationship with Jesus that is unadulterated. It is pure. It is there. It is full on. They desire Jesus and they refuse to substitute anything for him. That's what he calls us to. Um, He's their one true love. He is their desire above all things, but it wasn't always that way. This is the thing you got to remember. Coming in, it wasn't always that way for these 144,000. It wasn't always that, this, that way for us. It wasn't always that way for me. It wasn't always that way for you, was it? We were not always all in for Jesus. There was a time when every single one of the people singing that new song chased after the gods of Babylon. Every single one of them, every single one of us chased after the gods of Babylon. We've done it. We've all done it. But they eventually responded to the Lamb's loving pursuit and left their lovers behind. And that's what we're called to. We're we're called to respond to the Lamb's loving pursuit and leave the gods of this world behind, to leave the things of this world behind and to to pursue him and to come after him. Now these, these people want to be like Jesus. Now they are in his presence. And that is to be the thing that drives us and moves us. They have won the victory. We have won the victory. The victory is sure in Christ. And as we're 
we're coming in this chapter. This is the thing that he's wanting to see. Remember, the, the book of Revelation is a book of comfort. It's a book of encouragement. It's a book to show us that God is on the throne, that he is sovereign, that there's nothing outside of his control, that he holds all things in his hand, and that he has a plan and a purpose for us, his people. And these people have won the victory. And in Christ, we have the greatest possession there will ever be. We have the greatest possession that is ever known to man. And, and does this challenge us? Is, is The question is, is, is it going to challenge me and drive me to walk faithfully with Christ? Is it going to be something that challenges me to trust him in all things? Am I going to be trusting Jesus? Am I going to, to, to look at, at the things that come up tomorrow and go, you know what? Will I trust God today? And will I be faithful to him? Or maybe as, as you sit down tomorrow and, and, and you read your Bible and you come in there and, and because I know everybody reads their Bible Monday through Saturday, right? Because if we're not, we're wasting our time, aren't we? Because God speaks to us through his word. So as I sit down and I read the word of God and, and, I, and I see something in the word of God and I go, you know what? I'm here, but God's word is over here. And I need to get over here with God's word. And, and, and it, you know, it may not be some big glaring, terrible fault or anything. It may just be something where God says, you know what? It's time for you to adjust. It's time for you to make an adjustment and move from where you are over to a new place that I have for you. And as we move there, there's, there's this question, what's that going to do? What's it going to cost me? What, what, what might be the results if I choose to leave what I've done forever? And it may be something that's it's not bad or evil or wicked or anything. It may just be a, you know, something that, that we're doing that God says, you know what, that, that served you well, but i got something new. And as we move over there, do we trust him? Do we trust him to take us into the unknown? Because the unknown is really known, isn't it? You see, what we think is unknown is known. It's known in heaven. John's looking, he's seeing, and this is where we end. This is where we land. This is where it happens. We come in, and God has redeemed us, and he's got a plan and a purpose for us. So it should calm the fears that, that we have about what happens to us if we follow him without reservation. As we come and we look at the word of God, it should calm the fears that we have of, of what happens if we follow him without reservation. And it should also drive us to ask ourselves, do I have a song of praise in my heart? Do I have a song of praise in my heart today? Because, you know, today I think God wants every single one of us to have a song of praise in our hearts to him. He wants us to be grateful to him, to rejoice in what he has done for us, to worship him, to look around us. And, and in the midst of all the brokenness around us and maybe the brokenness that's going on in our own lives or the lives of people that are nearest and dearest to us, as we look at it, that God can give us a song of praise and say, you know what? I'm the God who redeems. I'm the God who brought you out of Babylon. I can bring them out of Babylon. I am the God who restores. I am the God who gives hope and a future. So we can come in that and understand that God has pulled back the curtain to show us an amazing future, but also an assured presence. We have an amazing future, but we have an assured presence. We have a presence that he is holding us. He is with us. He is with you today, and he will never, ever, ever let you go. That's the promise of God. And then we move on in verses 6 through 13. Then we see Jesus promises 
his people eternal blessings. Jesus promises his people eternal blessings. So if you've come into a faith relationship with Jesus, he's promising. He says, look, I've got an eternal blessing for you. And he promises his foes eternal punishment. Those who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, he promises eternal punishment. So you've got both things happening here. You've got the same coin, but you've got two sides of it. So as we come in in verses 6 through 13, it says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and find their faith in Jesus. And I heard a loud voice and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So, As we come in, this is a section of encouragement to those who are persevering in the faith. It's a promise that God will be with us and keep us until the end. This is the promise of God. This is the thing that, that we've seen through there. As Jesus promised, he says, look, there, there are people who are going to suffer to the death for their faith. You go back to those churches, Philadelphia um, and, and Smyrna. You go back and, and, and God's saying, you know what? Some of you are going to die for your faith. You're going to die because you're going against an evil, wicked um, culture and government that, that is going to put you to death for being faithful and true to Jesus. And he's saying, you just hold on a little bit. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, and so he is, he's doing that. And he's holding us in his hand. And he's saying that even in martyrdom, we're victors. What he's saying is they can take your life, but they can't take your inheritance. They can take you out of this world, but you belong to me. You will never be taken away from me. And a hundred million years from now, bazillion years or whatever it is, you will still be with me. You will still be here. You will still be experiencing the beauty of the new heaven and the new earth of what God has prepared for you and what God promises and that he gives to us. So this is the hope that God has for us and he offers to us. And, and not everyone's going to be a martyr. Not everyone's going to die for their faith. A lot of people are going to live really, you know, what we would call good lives and, and you know, good things and, and everything else. But there are others who will. And, and it happens. It's happening today. There are people dying for their faith today in, in places around the globe. More people died in the 20th century than the ones before that uh, for their faith. Religious persecution is a very real thing. It's just not something that we experience to a great degree here at this time and moment. But historically, it's been very, very real. And this is a weird little sliver of time, to be honest with you. We're in a strange little slot of history. If you look at world history, this is very highly unusual. 
So it comes because we have some values that were built on biblical and, and some things, rules that were built on biblical principles. And as we pull the biblical principles out of the foundation of where we are, it goes back to what we looked at last week, a government that, that goes from serving God, serving the people, to serving itself and looking for what it can get. And it's evil, and it oppresses people. So that's where it goes. So as, as we come in, this first angel calls for people to fear God and give him glory. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus, either by choice or compulsion. You're either going to choose to follow Jesus, or you're going to choose to reject Jesus, but you will acknowledge Jesus regardless. Um, <clears throat> he comes in and... Uh, and he says, give glory to God because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, this is a very familiar stretch of scripture in the New Testament. And in there, Paul writes, therefore God has exalted him, he's speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth everywhere. In heaven, on the earth, down below. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there will be a day where every single one will bow and acknowledge Jesus. Choice. To choose to do that results in redemption. To choose to follow Jesus results in Redemption and restoration. Compulsion results in condemnation. There's a big difference. When we acknowledge Jesus under compulsion, it doesn't do anything to help us out. It only results in condemnation. So bowing Jesus, bowing the knee to Jesus at the final judgment, because you have to, is, is the last act before final condemnation. This is what this angel is announcing. This is what's going on here. You go, man, this is getting dark and it's getting deep really, really fast. It is. It really is. But, but this is in the Word of God. This is something that he is um, <clears throat> showing us. So this is the last act. Babylon, the governing systems opposing God, and that's really what Babylon means. It's not just the city of Babylon, but it's any governing system that's opposing God. There have been a whole lot of Babylons. A whole lot of them. And, and as you come in, it's the governing systems opposing God, forcing people to drink the demands of a godless culture and destroying them. This is a government that forces people to do godless things. This is a government that, that presses laws and, and forces them economically and forces them to where people aren't doing what they want them to do. They're going to exact a price from them. So it moves you over into here. And once you drink the wine of it, you become drunk on the pleasures of the culture. And so it is a, a thing that destroys people. In Jeremiah 51, 7 through 8, Jeremiah described it like this. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, therefore the nations went mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. So remember the first beast, he's government seeking its own well-being and forcing the godless culture on the people by economic means. And, and then once they drink the wine of her immoralities, what, what we see here is they just want more. The third angel goes out and um, 
and lines out the consequences for following the beast. So the first angel says everyone will worship the lamb or everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord. The second one speaks of the nations drinking the wine of the culture or the, the, the lies of the culture. And then the third one is coming in and laying out the consequences, the consequences of following the beast. So here are the consequences of it. Um, first of all, he says with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, that's a choice. That's a choice they're making. It didn't say that they were forced to worship. It didn't say that they were forced to do this. It didn't say they were forced to take a mark. It says if they worship the beast, worship is a choice. We choose to worship. As a matter of fact, we choose, when we come in here today, when you come to church on Sunday morning, you can come in here and you can be surrounded by people singing loud. It could be so loud. It could be a new song. I mean, it could be a new song that's like the roar of the thunder and the sea and the the speakers are turned up so loud that it hurts our ears and we're not going to do that. But it did, you know, in heaven, you won't get hearing loss. But, But here, you know, you could do that and all that stuff could be going on and you could be sitting there and people could be doing all kinds of stuff, worshiping God and totally caught up to Jesus, and you could be sitting there totally missing it, missing the boat, because it's a choice. It's a choice. It is a choice. So the third angel is saying, those who have chosen to worship the beast in its image, those who have chosen to consciously reject God, will experience a result of that choice that's very real. It's a very real result. And that result is God's wrath forever. It says, He will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That's dark. That's bad. I mean, just to look at that, even in even in in biblical language like that, it's just oh, heavy. And I want you to hold on for a moment because we're going to come back. We're going to come back and look at the other side of this. But but um, the result is is eternal torment. And it says, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers or the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. You see, it's, it's all taking place in the presence of the Lamb. Everything here is taking place in his presence, and it's an encouragement. And the record <clears throat> of their deeds... As you come in, as, as he says in verse 19, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the, those who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The record of their deeds identifies them in the divine court as deserving rest. They deserve 
rest. Now, just to stop here for just a second, look, we talk about eternal rest or divine rest. He's not talking about wearing a diaper, sitting on a cloud, plucking a harp. That's no, I don't think anybody wants to spend eternity on a, on a cloud with a harp. I don't. I mean, to me, I'm thinking, are you kidding? That would be forever redundancy. Um, I just, I would go nuts. It is giving us rest from the labors of this life. Not that we won't do things or, or work. I mean, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve worked the garden. You know, garden's a nice thing when you're plucking vegetables from it and there aren't any weeds, right? There are no bugs there eating the stuff. That's, that's a joy. That's good. And the labors he's talking about, it's, it's the toil that we have in this world as we serve Jesus, as we long and labor to do the things that he has called us to do as he has brought us into this this place to share the gospel and to reach people with his word and to make a difference and and so as we come in as as we look at this and and we look and he says that that we will rest from our labors and our deeds will follow us the deeds you know these are these are interesting deeds because you talk about the deeds you know what every single one of us had deeds we all have deeds we all have things that we do you know, it could be just as simple as when the person that brings you your order this afternoon for lunch, they put onions on your burger that wasn't supposed to have onions. You can get all jacked up over it, or you can say, hey, no problem, I understand. And be nice and still give them a good tip. And that's a deed, right? That's reflecting graciousness, the character of Christ, understanding just knowing that, hey, I bet you've had a tough day. I'm sure your job's not an easy job. And, um, and, and I understand it's not a big deal. It's not like you tried to pour poison on my burger. Although you might think onions are, but I like onions. But, um, but anyway, you know, it, it's just sim- simple stuff like that. You know, we, it, it's how we respond to the people around us. It's when we're, somebody does something that's offensive to us rather than getting all worked up, we respond like Jesus would. Or maybe it's just that I've taken the time to pray for my neighbors and to pray that they'll know Christ, to pray for the people I work with, to pray for my family members who don't know Jesus or who are living lives that are contrary to the word of God. Those are deeds. Those are struggles. Those are hard things to do, right? It takes time and it takes effort and it can be emotionally draining. You see, as we look at this, this, this should drive us to be intentional, intentional to reach out to other people with the gospel, to reach out to the people around us, to share Christ, because our deeds follow us. They follow us. Jesus put it this way. He said, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where <clears throat> thieves break in and steal or moths destroy, but instead store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where thieves can't break in and steal, moths can't come in and destroy it. But where your treasure is, or where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. He said, look, make my kingdom your treasure. 
Deeds are just serving Jesus through every means he makes available. Whatever means he makes available, that's, that's a deed that he has given. It's making the most of every opportunity that he placed before us. Here, here, I'll give you your biggest opportunity this week is Easter. Your biggest opportunity, the biggest opportunity we have as church this week, the biggest opportunity we'll have for quite a while is Easter. It will open up conversations to share Christ with people. It will open up opportunities to invite people to come to church because, I mean, you know, it, it is Easter, right? So you can invite people, and, and I won't be in chapter 15 next week, so we won't, you know, we won't do the bowls of God's wrath on Easter Sunday. <laughs> it might be compelling, but it might not. But it, it's a great opportunity. You know, pray for somebody, invite them. There's invite cards out there, and or, or there were if they didn't all get taken by the people in the first service. If they did, they're going to invite a lot of people, and you'll have to make up your own cards to invite them. But, um, <clears throat> but, but just tell them. So it, it's an opportunity that we have to do that. It's making the most of every opportunity. Um, invite people and be intentional. Be intentional when you come in here. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of you, you you're, you're new. You've been coming here for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever, and it's great to have you with us. I want to challenge you. You know what? The, when people come in here and they don't know people, here's, here's what happens. Those of us who have known each other for a long time, you know what we do? We have holy huddles and we chat. And we talk. And it's not because we don't, you know, it's because we want to catch up. We had not seen somebody for a while or whatever. I want to challenge you on Easter Sunday, don't do that. And be intentional and say, you know what? God's given me an opportunity. And this might be the only time this person's ever been in church in their life. And I want them to feel welcome, accepted, and loved. And I'm going to go introduce myself to them. And if they say, oh, I've been coming here for 15 years ago, well, so have I. You must be that other service person. That's fine. And that's a good joke to go on. And nobody gets offended by that. Um, you know, it's just part of the way that things work. But introduce yourself to someone. Tell them you're glad to see them here. Um, get their name. Write their name down um, so you can remember it, whatever you need to do to do that. But, um, but, but talk to somebody. And then, you know, after about... Five to ten minutes, everybody who's just here for the first time ever, and they, they haven't been in church before, man, they are out the door. And then you can visit with all your friends. But you might make a new friend. You might have a whole, whole new life, life, lifetime friend that you met on Easter Sunday because you were intentional. Because you see, as, as we come in, what, what John sees here, it's driving us to something. It's moving us into something. So, so do that. I want to I encourage you to do that. Vacation Bible School in June is going to be life-changing for some kids. Look, there are going to be some kids who come here to our church, and their lives are going to be changed forever. They're going to meet Jesus, and they're going to be changed for eternity. For eternity. They're going to be a part of that great throng, worshiping around the throne, singing the new song, real loud and out there and in tune and everything else. And, and it's going to be an amazing thing that takes place. And you know what? Some of their mamas and daddies will come, know to, will come to know Christ because of that as well. It's just the way it works. God does amazing things. And he promises, and I want to encourage you, you can serve. You can serve in Bible school. If you've never done it before, if you're terrified, you can still do it. We'll help you. But, but that's something that you can store up in heaven. That is something that, that when he's talking about this, he's saying that their deeds follow them. And, and praying for people by name to know Jesus. Look, think about the people that you know that don't know Christ. Do you pray for them? Pray that God will do something in their hearts to draw them to him. Pray for that. 
Because look, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think that everybody in the room here, everybody in the room here, when they see the smoke of their torment going up forever and ever, then they have no rest day or night. Those worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of his name, we don't want any people to be in that category, do we? I can't think of a single person that I would say, I want you to be in hell forever. That's harsh. I don't care how evil they were, what they've done, or anything else. I mean, I, I just can't think of that. When I was in my, uh, reading my Bible this morning, I, I'm, I'm reading uh, right coming in from uh, Deuteronomy right into uh, um, <clears throat> Joshua, you know, the, and, and it's Battle of Jericho is probably going to go down tomorrow. But uh, I don't know. I, I didn't look at the chapters. But, but Joshua, they send the spies in. You know, the spies go in there, and, and they go in, and, and they go, and they hide in this lady's house named Rahab. You know what Rahab is, right? She's a prostitute. She's called Rahab the harlot. You know where Rahab is right now, don't you? She's at the throne of God worshiping. Yeah. You see, if, if God can take what we consider the worst of the worst and put them in heaven, and not on the back row in heaven, look, she gets some ink in the Bible. She, she, she's in the New Testament as well as the Old. She's in the lineage of Jesus. Interesting stuff, isn't it? You see, God redeems broken people and changes them. And he calls us to engage and, and to love and to care. And, and when we look at this, look, we, we can come into this whole thing and we can, you know, we can go, yeah, God's going to get them and they're going to get their just desserts, that's the wrong attitude. <clears throat> so as he comes in and we speak of the message of the three angels, the message of the three angels is, is a message that is terrifying. And we need to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We need to pray that God will give us the eyes to see and the heart to desire to do that. And here's why. Here's why. In verses 14 through 20 is the reason why end time judgment will be thorough. The judgment at the end will be thorough. Nobody's going to slip by. He says, then I looked. <clears throat> so this is the sixth thing in chapters 12 through 15. Um, there's seven things that take place there. We're in the sixth. The next one um, will be next week in chapter 15, or not next week, it's Easter, but the week after. He says, then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That's a terrible picture. That is a terrible 
terrible picture of the final judgment that, that, uh, that we see coming. It's a reminder of the certainty of God's justice. It's a reminder of the certainty of God's justice, and it drives us to praise him for his mercy and grace. It drives us to praise him for his mercy and grace. That's why people worship around the throne, because they know that they have been cleansed by God, they've been forgiven by God, that they once were worshiping in Babylon, that they once were chasing after false gods, that they once were like Rahab, and that God has changed them, not through anything that they did, but through what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus made us whole. He is the one who washes us and makes us whole and presents us holy and blameless before God. Um, It's his mercy and grace. In Genesis chapter 41, Joseph comes in to speak to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has two dreams, and the two dreams go basically like this. He says, I saw seven fat cows come up on the bank of the river, and then seven skinny cows came up and swallowed them all up, and they were gone. And then I fell back asleep, and I had another dream, and I saw seven uh, big, fat, plump plump heads of grain. And then all of a sudden, six sickly, weak, withered grains came up, and they swallowed them. And I'm really troubled by this dream. And Joseph said, well, this is what the God of heaven says. And he said, because he's told it to you twice, it's a certainty. It's going to happen. It's real. And you better get ready for it. And, And I think that's the same idea here. He said it twice in two ways. He's going to come in and with the sickle and take, and he's going to come in and he's going to take the grapes, and it's a surefire thing. And, and uh, these things are about to happen, and these verses remind us. So as we come in here, look, these verses remind us that God honors our choices. He honors our choices. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God. Uh, he's recently passed away, but it, it's, it's one of the better books. If, if you read Christian books, it, it's one that you should put on your list. And it's not, a, not an easy read. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very detailed, but it's very good. But here's what he said. The unbeliever has preferred to be by himself without God, defying God, having God against him, and he shall have his preference. Nobody stands under the wrath of God save those who have chosen to do so. The essence of God's action in wrath is to give men what they choose in all its implications, nothing more and equally nothing less. God's readiness to respect human choice to this extent may appear disconcerting and even terrifying, but it is plain that his attitude here is supremely just and pulls apart from the wanton and irresponsible inflicting of pain, which is what we mean by cruelty. He's saying it's not cruel that God says some people that you can go to heaven or hell. It's God honoring your choice. God gives you the choice. He gives people the choice to choose him or to reject him. And in other words, it's saying that God doesn't send people to hell. They choose that. They choose that by, by choosing to refuse to worship God. And you say, man, that's, that's um, mm. look, here's the most probably well-known scripture verse you're ever going to hear. As a matter of fact, if there was a football game on today, every time the net went up, you would see it. John three sixteen. You know, somebody's going to be holding it up when they're kicking a field goal. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's amazing. But let's read the next four verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now there's grace. Jesus didn't come to say, you people have messed up and it's over. I'm starting from scratch. Then he goes on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So John is saying, you know what? We make a choice. We either choose to stay in the darkness or we choose to step into the light. And, and honestly, when, when we step into the light, we begin to see things that make us uncomfortable. And that's when we have to turn them over to Jesus and trust him, knowing that he has provided for our forgiveness and to restore us, to restore us to what he created us to be. So the wine press is outside of the eschatological holy city. That's a fancy word for end time city. And that is where the punishment of unbelievers takes place. So it's 1600 Stadia, and everybody knows how far 1600 Stadia is, right? It's 184 miles. I knew that you'd already calculated that out and, and done that. And I go, Stadia, how far is a Stadia? I don't even know exactly what a measurement of a Stadia is, but I know it translates into 184 miles because I read it. Um, so it's 184 miles, and 184 miles is approximately the distance from Tyre down to the border of Egypt, Palestine. He's saying that there is going to be blood Basically, about the, 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 you know, right up to about here, you're going to be swimming in blood from one end of the country to the other. And, and that's, um, it's, it's a picture. It's just, it's a picture of, of what the punishment is going to be for those who refuse to follow Christ. The horse's bridle is, is figurative for the severity of the unqualified nature of the judgment. It's total judgment. It's complete judgment. It's full judgment. It's, it's saying that this is done. It's a sealed thing. It's a real thing that will happen. God will judge those who reject Jesus. He will judge unbelievers, and it should drive us to pray for them. It should drive us to have compassion and mercy and grace towards the people around us. It should drive us to look for opportunities to share with them. It should be something that moves us to be intentional in how we live in our lives for people to see. And in the language of, of the book of Revelation, here's what it's doing for us. It's showing us the seriousness of sin and the consequences of it and what it does. And, and it's showing us also the grace and the mercy of God and the promises that, that, that he has overcome, the lamb who was slain through suffering and sacrifice. Jesus came and redeemed us. He didn't come and redeem us by just wiping out everybody and starting over again. Instead, he came and suffered and sacrificed and gave his life for us so that we could be made whole in the seriousness of sin required that. <clears throat> and it shows us 
that repentance is, is necessary and it reveals the grace and mercy of God that's available to all who turn to him. So maybe as, um, <clears throat> as we come here today, maybe uh, through all of it, you look and you say, you know what, I've never come to the point where I turned to Jesus and I asked him to forgive me of my sin and I repented and, and I left the things of this world to try to be everything that God wants me to be. And, and, and I just, I've, I've, I've lived my own life. I've lived the way that I think is right. And I had no idea of any of this stuff. And I didn't know that God was giving me a choice to, to leave him forever or to be with him forever. And I want to do that today. Now I see the seriousness of that and I know that I've sinned. I know that, you know, I know I haven't lived a perfect life. Um, uh, I may not be as bad as people over here, but, you know, bad is bad, right? Um, so I'm coming in, and, and, and I know that I need to repent and turn to God. And it's a simple thing. You can do that. You know, if that's your heart right now, I'm telling you, that didn't come from hearing a sermon. That came from the God of all creation. And, and he is calling to you today, and he's saying, turn to me, and I will give you life. I will forgive you, I will redeem you, I will restore you, I will give you a future and a hope. You won't be on the back row, you'll be on the front row, you will worship with me forever, and you will be on the varsity team. There is no JV in my kingdom. You're there, you're a starter. That's the promise, and, and, and today you can just pray and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting that Jesus died for me. I want to worship at the feet of the, feet of the Lamb. I want to follow you. I want to leave behind all the stuff of this world, and I want to trust you and trust in you for my future and my eternity, and, and that's it. You cry that out in your heart, and here's what God says. He, Jesus said, all, who call, all, <clears throat> all the Father brings to me will come to me, and I will never turn them away. I will never turn them away. He promises to receive you. And, and, and the voice in your head is saying, yeah, but you don't, yeah, yeah, but, but you know, those other people, they're not like you. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you, everybody in the room, we're all the same. We're all messed up people. The only thing that, that, the only thing that we got going for us is the lamb that was slain on the throne. And he levels the floor right there for all of us. We're all the same, precious in his sight owned by him. So if that's what God's doing in your life today, I just want to encourage you, you turn to him, you cry out to him and he promises to receive you and he'll change you and make you whole and, and he'll put a new song in your heart. He will. <clears throat> and then for those of us who know Jesus, who have done that already, who are you going to pray for this week? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Because God hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And, and the very heart of God is for people to know him. And he will give us opportunities to do things that are beyond imagination. So look, maybe you've been praying for somebody for years and years and years. We had a man who was 70 years old a couple, two or three years ago. He gave his life to Christ. His daughter said, I've been praying for my daddy for 15 years. 15 years. Look, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And eternity awaits. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you. Because you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Father, you are the God who made us, who created us in your image. And Father, you're the God who desires for us to be redeemed and restored. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning focus our eyes on you, to look 
to the amazing worship that you have in store for us. Father, we pray that this week that we'll have opportunities to share Jesus with people around us. Father, we pray that we'll have opportunities to bring people here this coming week, that we'll see people's lives change, that we'll see families change. Father, that we'll see boys and girls' lives change, that we'll see you do what only you can do. And Father, we pray that you will prepare us for the amazing future that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We just